Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 18th, 2020 Pumpkin Spice edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Branstead's back, Godfather Politics, and more political football. Hi, I'm James Lynch with the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today is Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. First up, Branstead's back. President Donald Trump has been blaming China for sending us the coronavirus as a cure for what ails the president's re-election chances, at least in Iowa, maybe coming from China too. We're talking about former Governor Kerry Branstead, who is expected to return next month from China, where he has been serving as the U.S. ambassador since 2017. The announcement of his return has sparked speculation that Branstead will rally the troops here in Iowa for the president, as well as Senator Joni Ernst and other Republicans on the ballot. According to the AP, Branstead told the Hong Kong TV station he'll work on behalf of Trump. Uh, of course, his son, Eric Branstead, is an advisor to the Trump campaign here in Iowa, and he'll also work for Ernst uh, and other Republicans, but not in an official role. He said he'll be a volunteer. Uh, Todd, Branstead has never lost an election when his name is on the ballot, uh, but can he win elections for other candidates? Well, I, you know, he's... He's a good campaigner. He knows more about Iowa than most politicians. Uh, he's, you know, he's been, was governor for you know, 22 years, I think, is at, at the final tally mm-hmm. and longest tenure in, in, in America. So, yeah, he's obviously got political skills and he's obviously got expertise and and can and can benefit, you know, candidates in in, in myriad ways. I mean, of course, you know, it all boils down to uh, the candidates on the ballot, surrogates and, and folks who campaign for them are nice, but ultimately voters sort of choose which person is going to be best for the job rather than sort of take, take the advice always of, of endorsers and, and folks campaigning. But, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it's likely that, we, I mean, we've already seen Republicans uh, attempting to blame basically all of our problems on China. So I expect that Terry Brand said, we'll come back with some, you know, to express that same sentiment. And because he was the ambassador to China, he'll, he'll have added credibility on that. So, yeah, I think, I think he can under, help underscore their message and, and is, you know, someone that Iowans are familiar with and obviously have, have elected several times to the, you know, the, the state government's top job. It's probably too late for uh, Senator Ernst to get a, her name changed on the ballot to Senator Joni Ernst Branstead or something like that. But. Yeah, yeah, that's it is probably too late for that. It's uh, you know like everybody could stick a, a Branstead on the back of their name and maybe that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I voted for him before. Oh whatever, whatever. Um, Democrats have said that Branstead really has nothing to show for his time in China other than a trade war that has hurt U.S. Iowa farmers and manufacturers. And they're calling this sort of a last-ditch effort by Republicans to hold on to the Senate seat in the Iowa House of Representatives. Um, Do you think this really does signal a a sense or level of desperation on the part of Republicans here in Iowa? Well, it's, you know... I mean, it, you know, the, their, their senator, Senator Ernst, is, is in a fairly tight competitive race, and, and that's a seat that they had counted on to hold, mm-hmm. and now it's not so sure. And so 
yeah, I mean, they're they, they're trying to to do what they can to hold on to it. The, the Iowa House obviously is in play. Uh, you know, I, I don't I, those those races are largely run locally, and you know, we'll we'll begin hearing all the scary radio ads and such soon. I'm sure for legislative races. I'm already um, hearing them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I have satellite radio, so I don't always <laughs> <laughs> I don't always catch them, but. Yeah, I mean, any any effort now, frankly, is last ditch. So, I mean, because we're almost there. But uh, and we we also, you know, uh, the the sort of the public reason that the that Branson is coming back and he's leaving his ambassadorship is to is to do this campaigning. I mean, we don't know what what else is going on, you know, within within the Trump administration or what, you know, why it's hard to believe that that's the only reason that he's leaving, but I mean, you know, with all of these things, you know, it's like any personnel matter. We, <laughs> we just don't, we don't get to know the full story, but it's, uh, I mean, I think he's wants to campaign, but maybe there are other reasons. So, yeah. yeah. In, in a normal election year, I, I think this could have more impact um, because I think Branstead is the sort of person who would attract a crowd at campaign rallies and, and those sorts of events. This yeah. year, I mean, Republican candidates still seem to be doing in-person events, um, but I'm not sure that people are going to come out as much as they would uh, in a typical year to see Governor Branstead. Um, I mean, he'll be coming back about the time um, that... Uh, uh, early voting starts. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of time to uh, change people's minds, I guess, if they're sitting on the fence. But it, it seems like, as you were talking about, people know Branstead, they've voted for him in the past. So maybe he can, if people are lukewarm to the president and, and perhaps Joni Ernst, or they are thinking, they're not thinking about voting, he might be able to move those folks, it seems like, whether he changes anybody's mind, uh, you know, you know, who was yeah. thinking about Joe, thinking about voting for Joe Biden or for Teresa Greenfield. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, and I don't know that the opportunity is as, as good for that this year um, as it would be in a typical year where you can go out and, you know, uh, do the, the bus tours and stop in yeah. every town and, and do those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, he, ex he extends their bench in that, you know, he's just, he's one more person that can, you know, draw people to a fundraiser. And I, and it looks like Republicans are still having fundraisers. We had the, the one in Council Bluffs that got a lot of attention for closeness and no masking. <laughs> but uh, you know, so he he is someone that can do that. He's he's a proven fundraiser. He's always had luck, you know, raising money for his own campaign. So that may be another factor in this is that he could shake loose a few more dollars, especially for their you know the fund for the party as they're mm -hmm. trying to fund legislative campaigns which, you know, are, they generally spend money down to the wire on those, even with the early voting, because, you know, some people will still go to the, go to the polls, a lot of their if, voters, for instance. If Republicans are going to continue to do these in-person events, they probably should encourage people to vote early because they may not be able to <laughs> come November 3rd. Yeah, uh, they, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're rolling the dice on this. They're uh, taking a risk. You know? Yeah, vote, you can't, it's hard to vote with a ventilator. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that uh, it, I was thinking about Branstead being back is that he um, can attract attention and attract a crowd, 
Um, and, and some candidates might prefer campaigning with him uh, as opposed to campaigning with the president. Um, he can you know, take some of the heat, deflect attention, um, but not be as uh, polarizing as the president on the campaign trail. So uh, there may be some help in that regard. Um, for like Senator Joni Ernst and some of the, the U.S. House candidates that um, probably have mixed feelings about uh, stumping with the president. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's hard for them to distance themselves because they've you know they've stuck with him pretty close. But yeah, you're right. Branstad would be a better headliner at this point. Right. Uh, and and as I said with the China, I mean the China arguments that they're making about you know he's already giving interviews. He had a CNN interview posted this morning where he blamed China for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and because he was ambassador, he's getting, whatever he says about China is going to be, is going to get press. So yeah. yeah I mean, in that they keep making that argument that all of these problems stem from China, he's, he's going to be an asset in, in, in pushing that narrative. I wonder if he'll, if he's still calling uh, Xi Jinping, his, my old friend or uh yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know if there will be uh, holiday cards uh, crisscrossing this year or not. But. Probably not. <laughs> They'd have to be uh, quarantined anyway, you know, until you know. Yeah, right. January, mid January, or something like that. So, yeah, mail early, mail your cards early, I guess, as the postal service says. <laughs> Moving right along here, um, we've also seen a lot of former Governor Tom Vilsack uh, in recent weeks uh, on a variety of Zoom calls, uh, not so much in person. Uh, he's appeared in virtual press conferences with farm groups and pro-Biden groups and, and candidates, Democratic candidates. Um, will the final month of the campaign be a face-off between the godfathers of Iowa politics, Terry Branstead and Tom Vilsack? Yeah, I, I guess it could be. Uh, maybe we could, they could debate. That would be interesting. Uh, probably more interesting than the, than the like the Greenfield Ernst debate. But probably. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, but you know, I, I think Vilsack is obviously his message has been. I mean, he's trying to sort of maybe grab some rural votes for Democrats. He was a Democrat who showed that he that that could be done. He he won lots of rural counties when he ran uh, in 1998 and, and 2002. Uh, so I think that's what his message is, is that he's he's sort of the person that's attacking Trump's rural record as someone who, you know, has appealed to rural people. I don't know how much that's working. Uh, you know, Branstead will be doing the opposite, trying to say, oh, hey, we, we got this uh, trade promise which he's been touting as he's leaving his ambassadorship. And, and that's great. And now we've got the ethanol waivers finally denied after more than a year of begging. And so, yeah, I think, I think th- those two will be out there basically trying to convince folks in rural areas that either Trump has, has done great for farmers and isn't as bad as the Democrats say, and that Bill Sack will be arguing that he's been, he's been pretty bad for rural Iowa and for the rural economy. It seems to me that this might be a, a good strategy for both parties because for many Iowans, I think Branstead and Vilsack probably are more popular than the people on the ballot and <laughs> and probably more likely to move people to the polls uh, than some of the candidates whose names are actually on the ballot. 
The, le- the less governing you have to do, the more popular you get. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like our former office holders now a lot. It's the ones that are in office that we... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And both of them can point to good times while they were yeah, in office. Definitely. You know, the, the state did well uh, during their respective um, uh, governorships. And uh, so they can they can point to that and... and uh, um, and both of them, I think, have remained popular um, with Iowa voters. Uh, I mean, Vilsack is very popular with Democrats, and and you don't really hear Republicans bad mouthing him uh, to the extent that they, you know, talk about say Tom Harkin. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Democrats are never all that crazy about Terry Branstead, but um, I, I think there's some sort of level of uh, respect or deference for him. Uh, so yeah, they, they may be more popular than the candidates. Uh, and who knows, maybe, uh, one or both of them will run for office again. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you think maybe Branson will go for a seventh term? Yeah. Why not? (laughs) And and if you want to really, you know, get done, you know, sort of conspiracy theories, uh, in 2022, if, uh, Kim Reynolds isn't looking uh, too re-electable, you know, why not run Branstead and, and then he can resign and she'll become governor again. So, yeah, that would, okay. that would be, uh, that would be wild. Like a whole nother gener- a whole nother generation of, you know, Republican, younger Republicans can, can go without <laughs> getting a chance yeah. to... <laughs> to run for higher office. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yep. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> You'll never get a chance to be governor. So, <laughs> well, not only is Branstead back, but so is Big Ten football. Um, we had so much fun talking about football uh, last week. We thought we'd do it again. Um, uh, of course, President Trump is sort of claiming victory with the announcement that the Big Ten will start uh, football its football season in, in mid October. Um, Apparently, that's unrelated to Branstead coming back from China. As I recall, Branstead was a fan of Arkansas or Alabama or some team <laughs> uh, that I've never paid attention to. Uh, when he, you know, at least when he was a kid up in Lake Mills. But uh, who knows who he cheers for these days? Um, th- there's some suggestion that the return of college football, Big Ten football, could um, help President Trump if it's seen as a return to normalcy, that, hey, things are settling down. We, you know, college football's back. Um, the coronavirus is in the end stages, I guess, is, is the theory. Um, and there also is this idea that there's a cohort of sports enthusiasts, especially football fans, uh, who are younger, college-educated, middle-class, and more politically engaged than the typical American they're also more likely to be Republican and no fans of political correctness and cancel culture. Um, so it seems like if the president can point to things returning to normal, it helps him. Um, however, I don't know if just pointing out that college kids are playing football will convince a lot of uh, voters that it's safe to go outside and safe to go to the polls. And we've already seen a backlash on campuses where students are asking, uh, you know, why if football players can get tested every day, they have to wait days or weeks for a COVID test. Um, do you think there's a, a, an upside for the president here, Todd? Well, he he certainly 
think so. That's why he got involved and tried to, you know, talk the Big Ten presidents into changing their mind, which they ultimately did. How much of a role he had in that decision, I, I don't know how much of a role he had. But I think the bigger the bigger uh, factor was that uh, we've got some faster testing now so that the players can be tested regularly. And, and uh, we also know a little bit more about the longer-term effects of the virus, in particular the, the heart uh, heart effects. And so there's, there's going to be a lot of testing and focus on that if, if players do test positive. So I think it was more that the presidents got comfortable with more comfortable anyway with the, with the medical, uh, you know, the medical plans that were being put in place and agreed to let the season go. I mean, obviously any, anything that looks like a return to normalcy will, will help the president make the argument that this is, you know, that he's handling this well. Although, you know, we're, we're going to see football as we have in the last, you know, a couple of weeks in empty stadiums. And, and as, as Iowa state found out, you know, you, an empty stadium with not having that nice home field advantage of a, you know, a major college football program playing a smaller program sort of matters <laughs> because mm-hmm. Louisiana was perfectly happy to, to, to beat them in, in, in silence. So, right. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it's, it's good to get, you know, a lot of people are going to appreciate having football back, Big Ten football back, but it's it's still different, and we're still going to see the case numbers rising and all of the numbers that are continuing to be troubling. And I, I don't know that I don't know that football can 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 make everybody forget about that. Just seeing the, just seeing the black and gold out there won't make you uh, won't change your vote one way or another, will it? No, it's not not likely, but. I appreciate it, you know. Uh, I'll I'll be in my I'll be in my uh, easy chair with the television on, not in Kinnick, but in, they're in spirit, I guess. Well, I don't know. Yeah, they may allow fans. Who knows? You know, one every one every six feet. You know, take your chance. Yeah, about the time it gets to be like twenty degrees or ten <laughs> degrees, or I mean, they're they're playing all the way almost to Christmas. So those late games, I, if they start. If they tell me in middle in the middle of December during a, you know, a big cold snap, I can come to Kinnick. I may I may just say no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> stay in front of my fireplace. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was watching one of the games last weekend, and uh, they had fans in the stadium, and they were spread out. I mean, they were six feet or more apart, but it was raining, and it was like. Man, that that would really suck if the, you know if you were a season ticket holder and they said, "Okay, hey, it's your turn to come to the game," and then you had a you know your choice was to sit there in right. the rain. It's like, uh, yeah, never mind. But, well, yeah. and they're they're not really allowing much tailgating. Although I think in Iowa City there's so much tailgating in in, in sort of private lots and yeah. stuff. I don't know how much of a dent that's going to make. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's a totally different experience. But uh, you know, yeah, so. Bas- I think I think a lot of Iowa fans are worried about basketball season since we're supposed to have a a really good team and and what's you know what's going to happen with that they're saying it's going to start around Thanksgiving and go from there but it seems like the the further we go into this pandemic the less changes with the with the virus so right. I mean you know I'm I'm reading articles that are like hey don't expect 2021 to be normal exactly <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. can we just get through this first before you start telling me next year is going to suck too 
Yeah, I mean, you think back to to March, and everybody thought, oh, okay, a couple weeks, a month, and we'll be back, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. office, and we'll be, you know, everything will be back to normal. And then it just it went on through the summer, and and now, yeah, I mean, they're talking about, hey, it's it's not like we're going to flip a switch and it's going to be over. It's get used to this for another year or something, you know, with a very gradual return to normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we. We sort of didn't do our homework early, and now we're yeah we're paying the price. Exactly. But rain or shine, we'll be back with another edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope this one was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Natalie Brown will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Todd and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well.